Today, Saturday, May 23rd, is the beatification of Monsignor Oscar Arnulfo Romero, former Archbishop of San Salvador, El Salvador, who was killed while celebrating Mass by pro-government militias in 1980. Finally, San Romero, as he is already known all over Latin America, is officially on the church calendar of saints. Romero, whose life and death was made popular around the world by the Paulist Productions film Romero, began his career as bishop labeled as a conservative, but almost immediately became an outspoken opponent of injustice and a defender of the poor. Romero's change of attitude happened after the assassination of his friend Father Rutilio Grande in 1977. Soon he became known as the Voice of the Voiceless. In 1980, Romero wrote an open letter to then-U.S. President Jimmy Carter calling on his government to stop supporting the military government of El Salvador. On March 23rd of that same year, Monsignor Romero preached his last homily. He said, In the name of God and of this suffering people, I urge you, I plead with you, I order you, in the name of God, to stop the repression. The next day, March 24th, an assassin shot him while he was preparing the altar for the Liturgy of the Eucharist during Mass. The cause for his canonization was opened in 1990, and this year he was declared a martyr, a process that seemed to be hastened by Pope Francis. Today, we remember all those who struggle for justice, all those who work for peace, and we remember those who suffer because of injustice. Today we celebrate Monsignor Romero, martyr of love and defender of the poor and peace. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, after our news and saint of the week, Danny Torquia will be here to give us some media relation tips. That's in about 20 minutes. And after that, Father Tom Rosica will offer a reflection for the Feast of Pentecost, one of my favorite feasts of the year. In our second half hour, we will continue our series on consecrated life with a conversation I had with Father Mike Pace, who is a Salesian priest. Father Mike really knows his consecrated life, so he's able to explain what that all means really well and why Pope Francis declared this year to be the year for consecrated life. That's in about half an hour. And after that, we'll be speaking with Brother Anton from the St. Elizabeth Convent in Belarus. They do a lot of good work, and so he'll be telling us all about that. But they also have a choir, and they've just released their first CD of chants in English. If you've never been to an Eastern or Orthodox liturgy, I think that you're really going to enjoy this. Let's start with a song from that album. Here's the New Voice Orthodox Choir with All Creation Rejoices in Me from their new album, Mystical Supper.
That was the new voice, Orthodox Choir, with All Creation Rejoices in Me from their new album, Mystical Supper. And we're going to be speaking with Brother Anton from the New Voice Orthodox Choir from Belarus in our second half hour. But now, here with me is Emily Callan, sitting in for Stefan Slovak. With our news, Emily, so good to have you with our program. It's good to be here, Pedro. Thanks for having me. So the Holy Father uh, had some special, I guess, special thoughts for families at his general audience on Wednesday. Well, this is, has, has been a recurring theme for his general audiences for many weeks now. And yes. so today, it was nothing really new on the theme, but he especially spoke about um, parents and their very important role in their children's education, uh-huh. and that it's even, it's something that is very part, very important in their vocation as a married couple. Uh-huh. So he, um, he especially pleaded with them, said that they not remove themselves from the formation and leave it only to what you would call experts right. um, in the education of their of their children. So um, the Pope was saying that there is a, a tendency, um, and I quote him here, rather than favoring the collaboration between families and other educational agents, it opposes them to one another. Right. So instead of having these these two parties work together, and, and we see this today too mm-hmm. um, in, in our own culture where parents are kind of, you know, butting heads with... Right. Um, with the establishment. With the establishments, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and so, and then he, he added that, that families do need support from the Christian communities so that uh, all of this formation, the, edu- the education of their children is rooted in love and the word of God. Mm-hmm. Good. So the Holy Father, I mean, this makes perfect sense because we're kind of celebrating family as we gear up for the synod and the world meeting. But the Holy Father is also speaking to bishops. He did speak to The Italian to bishop. bishops, his bishops, because he's the, the bishop. Yes, exactly. I guess in Italy, yeah. Yeah, and so he had very important words for them on Monday um, to open their 68th General Assembly at the Synod Hall at the Vatican. They chose the team based on his last encyclical, Evangelii Mm -hmm. Gaudium. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the Pope basically opened his speech, giving them a roadmap on how to be a good bishop and what what this looks like. So he's, he's spoken in the past many times on... On, on the priests and their role in the church. Um, and so he was saying that it's very sad to see pastors who are discouraged and, and not motivated when really they should be the ones to encourage their people. Yeah. Um, another ins- essential skill, he said, the bishop must have is the ability to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow all people in the church to have a voice. He said there's a, a habit or a bad habit a bad habit of choosing the same people to do the same things, which right. intoxicates communities is the expression he used. And finally, he spoke of aging religious institutes, which can in some cases reflect badly the founding charisms he said of their communities and not have a strong testimony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have it there. Yes. Good advice there for uh, for a lot of pastors and bishops. Now, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the organization Caritas, the the, the church's branch that deals with development issues. They right. had a meeting. What uh, what was their news there? So the meeting that was held lasted about six days from May 12th to 17th, so it finished on Sunday. And their theme was One Human Man family caring for creation. So Uh there were about 400 representatives from around the world, so about 165 charities that met in Rome last week. And so this theme is really in light of Pope Francis's new encyclical on human ecology um, that will be coming out shortly. So Caritas Internationale shares in this vision of helping better to be, of helping people be better stewards of creation. 
And we also know that um, we found out last at the end of their of their meeting, which happens actually every at the end of, of their meeting, they appoint a new president. And this year, they appointed Cardinal Luis Antonio Taglia of Bishop the Philippines. Of yes, Manila. exactly. Yes, that's good news. We um, all like him very much. Another interesting thing I could maybe add to. Um, to to this yes. meeting is that the expo in Milan that is happening this year, they held a Caritas Day okay. on uh, on Tuesday. So where um, the delegates that were there for for this day uh, presented the results of a campaign that they started in 2013, right? Basically researching what is really at the root and at the heart of hunger in the world, which is yes, still very true. present, very real. There are still about eight eight hundred million people around the world who are lacking the essential yes, needs. Yes, I know, I know, I know that we've talked about that campaign here before. And lastly, in the little time that we have left, uh, there's rumors about Mother Teresa's canonization. Right. And when I read this, I was still wondering. I, I told myself maybe you know I thought she was already canonized. Yes, you know. Oh, it's so we confusing. That, yes. But no, she is not canonized yet. And she is not going to be canonized um, in the near, uh, the next year, which people thought she would yes. be, this would happen in 2016 during the Jubilee year yes. for mercy. But uh, Father Federico Lombardi, who's director of the, um, the press, office, press office, exactly, um, said, no, her cause for canonization is still... We're still looking at it. Okay, good. So at least we'll, we'll be hearing about this because she will be canonized at some point. We all know she's a yes. saint in heaven anyway exactly. already. Emily, great to have you here with us Thank you, today, uh, sitting in for Stefan. Um, y- for daily news updates, you can watch our daily perspectives update in English and French. Emily is our host in French, Mondays through Thursdays on Salt and Light Television, online at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Hi, this is Joe Zambon. And you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can look me up on Facebook. And when you're there, just say hello. And now it's time for Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, Deacon Pedro, how are you? Andrew from On Retreat. Yes, Andrew on Retreat. Uh, <laughs> it's been a whirlwind of the last two weeks, but long story short... Um, Uh, this past week, I've been on retreat uh, here within the Archdiocese of Toronto at St. Augustine Seminary. Yes. There's a whole bunch of our lay pastoral associates and youth ministers who are on retreat this week, and it's been a God-filled, uh, uh, a God-filled time together. The, the theme was joyful confidence. Excellent. So it's, it's good. Been very good. So we won't take too much of your time because we don't want to take away from your retreat. No, but no, thank no. you for it's doing okay. this. Oh, so okay, who's, we're going to look saint? at today. Today we're going to look at St. John Baptist de Rossi. It was very interesting because, oh. you know, um, uh-huh. uh, like I browse through like every day very often, like all the saints um, throughout the church who celebrate their feast days. And it was just very curious coming across um, John Baptist de Rossi because I'm so used to hearing about the guy who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist. We all Baptist. know that yeah. as John the Baptist, but John Baptist de Rossi uh, has a very interesting story that I thought I would share with our listeners today. So, okay, tell us. Um, John Baptist de Rossi, he is nothing short of holy. Very oh. holy priest who was born in the year 1698 in the village of Voltaggio. Um, and that's in the Diocese of Genoa, which today is northern Italy. He, we know that he was one of four children. He was born to an excellent and very, very highly respected couple. Uh, when he was 10 years of age, a nobleman and his wife, who were spending the summer at Voltaggio, um, obtained permission from uh, John Baptist, his parents, to take him back with them to Genoa to be trained in their house. Uh-huh. So John Baptist de Rossi remained with them for about three years, 
And really, he won golden opinions from all of them. Everyone highly respected uh, John Baptist de Rossi. Um, more specifically, he won golden opinions from two Capuchin friars who came to um, that couple's home, to his patron's home. Mm-hmm. They carried such a favorable opinion, a favorable report of John Baptist de Rossi to his uncle, who was then the minister provincial of the Capuchins, um, that a cousin, Lorenzo Rossi, a, who was a canon of Santa Maria in Cosmodon, invited uh, young John Baptist de Rossi to come to Rome. So he took him up on that offer. Yeah. He accepted the offer. He moved to Rome, entered the Roman college at the age of 13. <laughs> very young. Very, very young. Um, pop, very popular with his teachers. We know that. Um, also with his fellow students. He um, had completed the classical course with distinction when the reading of a book led him to a life of excessive mortifications. Hmm. So um, the strain on his strength at a time when he was like working really, really hard kind of led him to a complete breakdown, which um, ultimately forced him to leave the Roman college. So he recovered um, to kind of complete his training, but he never was, again, really robust. So we know Deacon Pedro, when reading his story, that um, because of his work, because of everything that went into what he was doing at the Roman college and um, everything in his life, he suffered. He suffered uh, physically, he suffered spiritually a little bit, um, it was on March the 8th in the year 1721, um, fast-track 10 years later, at the age of 23, mm-hmm. he was ordained, and his first Mass was actually celebrated in the Roman College in Rome at the altar of St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Um, don't know if you know St. Aloysius' story, but um, St. John Baptist de Rossi had a very, very special devotion to St. Aloysius. Okay. So... Basically, uh, John Baptist de Rossi, his fame comes from his work as a confessor and in his ministry to the sick. Spent a lot of time working with people who were sick, um, just like um, what happened to him. Mm-hmm. He physically struggled. Uh, he then died, as we know, in the Church in the year 1764, and his feast day is celebrated today, Saturday, May the 23rd. Mm-hmm. So, um, St. John Baptist de Rossi, pray for us. St. John Baptist de Rossi, May 23rd. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. He's also a youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario. And this week he is on retreat. Hi, I'm Janelle, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny is live in the studio. Yes, I can shake your hand. Nice to be here, Deacon yes, Pedro. Yes, good. So, so um, World Communications Day happened last Sunday. That's right. May 17th. I don't know if anybody knew that. Why do we have World Communications Day? What is that about? Well, it's a, it's a day that came out of Vatican II. And, and uh, what's amazing is that the, uh, the bishops came out with only one day, one observance, annual observance that they were going to promote, and it was World Communications Day. So it, uh, it's kind of uh, humbling to see how important communications was for them and is for us today. It hasn't quite picked up traction no, as much as you would like, yeah. but clearly communications is that energy inside of us to be a new, a new evangelist okay. and to share the message. So I think that's what we're talking about. In exactly. This that's what. So what? And, and so this every year there's a theme. What was what was the theme this year? What's the what do we learn from that day this year? To, uh, this year the theme was world uh, was communicating the family, 
So looking at, at the culture, of course, and, and then looking at the, the family as the core place where we can learn the mm-hmm. blessing of, of communication okay. among the, the, the family members and, and by par- parents to children. Okay, so, so sorry. So we can learn, we learn how to communicate in the family. Yeah, and, and the many blessings that come with it. Actually, there's a priest in Egypt I follow, you know, Father Boulad, who yes. speaks about uh, uh, to get a glimpse of heaven on earth, you, you sometimes just look at a family or a community yes. where there's love. And all the, 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 the attributes of love, understanding, right. uh, forgiveness, right. communication, etc., transparency. And mm-hmm. that's very true. And I think we can learn from the family. In the family, you know, we have to always weigh our words, weigh, be concerned for the other. Yes. And in a way, you know, when we fail on those different levels, mm-hmm. we feel it in our heart, right? I we see. feel it as a parent. Yeah. I didn't manage that relationship or that communications encounter with my spouse, with my neighbor, with my kid, well enough. Yeah. So that conscientiousness is, is, is highest in a family. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's good for us who are in communications in the church to remember that we should treat every encounter with an employee, with a disgruntled employee, right. with a parishioner who's complaining, or with a donor. All those encounters, we have to treat them with the highest regard of what is, what, what is it we're the doing. The way you would treat someone in your family. Yeah, with the utmost love and service. Is it as simple as that? <laughs> is it as simple? It sounds it's not. It's not simple, right? Well, um, it might be simple, not easy. It's simple, <laughs> not easy. I, mean, I always say with spokespersons, and today, you know, t- to give advice to, to spokespersons or people who work in PR is, we always have to be on. We have to always have to play the role of, a, uh-huh. dis- of a, a disciple of Christ, of a communicator, a brand ambassador, so that we keep our guard really high. When, when I speak to spokespersons or yes. CEOs or athletes, I tell them you have to be on. You can be weak in your, in your private relationships. You can express vulnerability. But when you're on representing an organization, be, be aware that you're the spokesperson. Be aware that every word you say matters. If you're, every behavior that you do is watched uh-huh. and needs to show leadership. Okay. So I, I guess I'm suggesting that everyone who's a spokesperson or a leader act with a certain level of awareness uh-huh. that every thought, every action, and every word they say really matters to their audience groups. Right. And you use, you use the term brand amb- ambassador, meaning that you're, al- I guess you said it, that you're always on, but I'm trying to make the connection here. So if I'm always on, it's because I care about the message that I really believe in, in the same way that I, when I communicate to my wife, I'm actually always authentic. Yes. Always aware. Or I should try to be authentic. <laughs> authentic and concerned for the others. So yes. I, I, if you're a leader of a brand or a leader of a campaign mm-hmm. or a charity, yeah. you want to make sure that you're always um, aware of your leadership role and acting in a, res- in, a, in a way that represents that. Right. So always be very putting a lot of weight on the words you use to which audience group, mm-hmm. the behavior that you show them, and, um, and every act uh, that you do. So I think... That's the message for leaders. Anyone in leadership in the church, be aware, be on. And, and I think if they follow the, you know, the calling of the Bible and the words and the teachings of Jesus by going the high, taking the higher ground, by forgiving others, by mm-hmm. staying above gossip and traps of other people, yes. by never reacting to anything that comes your way with negativity out, yes. then you can be an amazing spokesperson. Yes. Like Mother Teresa, like certainly Martin Luther King. Like Pope I Francis. Think. Pope Francis. Yes. We, and, and how do we sustain that? With the Eucharist, with prayer, yes. with meditation, with spiritual exercises. We have the solution yes. to this huge, huge and supernatural role of leader and spokesperson, which is no different than a, a good disciple. Very good. I like it. So brand ambassador, you want to be a good brand ambassador, be a good disciple. 
and we learn that in the family. Thank you. Danny yep, my Torquia. pleasure. Danny Torquia is our public relations expert and the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia. This is Joe Morales. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Let us reflect for a moment on the great gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive on Pentecost Sunday. As we celebrate the outpouring of Christ's Spirit upon each of us, we discover that the Holy Spirit makes the Christian experience truly Catholic and universal, open to all human experience. The whole of the New Testament can be understood precisely as the emergence of the Catholic, the universal in Christian life. Christianity, had it not moved from where it was particular and small, would have just been a small modification of the Jewish experience, a subset of Jewish piety that was still focused in and around Jerusalem and the restoration of a literal kingdom of Israel. The first two generations of Christians discovered that Christianity couldn't be just that. Because they had received the Holy Spirit, which is the universal principle, the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to the universal import of the Christian truth and it does so through their encountering non-Jews who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have. To be Catholic is to be universal and open to the world, not only to Canada or North America or a certain familiar part of the world or segment of society, but it must be open to all, open to every single person. The mind of Christ is not intended to be a selective mentality for a few, but the perspective from which the whole world will be renewed and redeemed. An insight like this, the universal scope of salvation, did not, however, come easily and without much straining. The Holy Spirit is always universal, always thinking beyond our boundaries, the horizons of our imaginations. We become an evangelizing, spirit-filled church when we allow the Spirit to fill us with holiness, joy, and peace. When we are caught up in the Spirit, when the Spirit dwells within us, the Spirit gives us creativity and imagination. Empowered by the Spirit, the Christian community can dare to dream dreams, to hope great things, to see visions, and to witness in word and deed to the power of the Spirit, whose fruits are seen by the traces of justice in the world. We are not the principal evangelizers. It is the Holy Spirit who is the greatest evangelizer, who needs transparent instruments, who have emptied themselves of their agendas and opened themselves to God's work. The Holy Spirit makes us transcend all of those tribal and narcissistic impulses of our times for the sake of enfolding every human person into the reality of Christ. What is the deepest and surest assurance and intimation that the Spirit is present in this in-between time of the first fruits, inspiring hope of a harvest yet to come. It is joy. If there is joy present, you can bet that the Holy Spirit has something to do with this deep and authentic joy. St. Augustine, who was the most musically passionate of the fathers of the Church, memorably evokes the experience of joy in the presence of the Spirit with these words. He says, Whenever people must labor hard, they begin with songs whose words express their joy. But when joy brims over and words are not enough, they abandon even this coherence and give themselves to the sheer sound of singing. What is this jubilation? What is this exultant song? 
It is the melody that means our hearts are bursting with feelings that cannot express themselves. And to whom does this jubilation most surely belong? Truly to God who is unutterable. If words will not come and may not remain silent, what else can they do but let the melody soar? This is the song of the Holy Spirit. Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest and the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. He is also the executive producer of this program. You can follow him at Father Rosica. Coming up in our second half hour, Consecrated Life with Salesian Father Michael Pace and a featured chat with Brother Anton of the New Voice Orthodox Choir of the St. Elizabeth Convent in Belarus. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Francis declared this year to be the year for consecrated life. So throughout the year, we'll be doing several interviews featuring various people who are living consecrated lives. Today, an excerpt from a conversation I had with Father Mike Pace of the Salesians of Don Bosco. This is a big year for Salesians. This is the 200th anniversary of the birth of the birth of John Don John Bosco. Right. John His name is John. Don is the Italian title for for father, if you will, a respectful uh, name. Yes. So what, the, what, is, what is the significance of this anniversary for you? Well, so 1815 to 2015, 200 years, it's a really a time for us to certainly uh, revisit our history, to understand it better, mm -hmm. because the more you know your roots, the greater the sense of unity and identity and purpose. Okay. As we move forward, we need to be true to the charism, the gift of the Spirit that God unleashed yeah. for the church through Don Bosco. Yeah. How do we incarnate that charism today? Faithful to our history, but ever responsive to the needs of today. Mm -hmm. And so certainly this is a, a, a buildup of, of uh, uh, study and celebration and gratitude around the Salesian world on the occasion of Don Bosco's birth. It's a time for us really to refocus. So to but refocus. What, do you, what do you do? Do you, are you having like conferences or, yep. or, or, or special retreats? that? to help you refocus? Uh, how does that work? There are, there are many, uh, sort of at, the, at the level of, of local or international animation, there are retreat days, there are study days, there are celebrations, there mm -hmm. are masses to commemorate his birth. Yeah. And uh, for us as a worldwide congregation, one of the biggest events took place last year. Uh, I was there last year at this time for our 27th general chapter. And that was an important time for us to take stock of who we are as sons of Don Bosco mm -hmm. today. And if I, if I could just read a quote yeah. from that document that really challenges us to refocus who we are and why we are Salesian. And this is from our current rector major, Father Angel Fernandez. He said this, This is the challenge of, relig of religious life today, thinking and living in a way that refocuses our way of looking at reality where we are too certain of ourselves. And so the challenge in that is to you know, even if, if I pick up another line from our, our rector major, he says, the young, especially the poorest ones, are the ones who will save us. Yeah. We are certainly called by God to form communities, focused on the Lord, to go out on mission. But our perspective has to be gratitude that the young people we reach out to in service are actually God's ways of helping us to, yeah. to save our own uh, souls, if you will. Yeah, it's very interesting. A couple of different thoughts I, I have, but that reminds me of a, a, a story I heard about Pope John Paul Saint, Pope John Paul II, when he was asked how, why he started World Youth Day, mm -hmm. thinking that it's the bishops who go and evangelize the youth. And he right. said, no, it's the youth 
who evangelize the bishops. Mm -hmm. Just the same same idea. Trust is there, yeah. Now the first quote you you read mm -hmm. uh, uses the word renewal. So is right. this anniversary an opportunity for renewal in the I guess in the sense of, in the true sense of the word? Absolutely. It's been an occasion for us to. I give you perhaps the, the the three areas of focus that we gave ourselves at the chapter, which was very much echoed by the uh, the call to this year of consecrated life. Yeah. We we reflected on the need to be mystics in the spirit. Uh, prophets of fraternity and servants to the young. So essentially, mystics in the spirit, how do we give God primacy of place mm -hmm. in our lives? That is the essential thing. So our own spirituality, from the Pope on down, we've mm -hmm. been challenged and I think bravely recognizing what can be, you know, Pope Francis called it the disease of superficiality. Mm -hmm. How do we take stock of where that might have affected us personally and as a congregation yeah. to regain that or to give back to God mm -hmm. what we promised when we encountered Him as our first love, that beautiful image. Yeah. How do we give Him primacy of place and yeah. allow the power of the Spirit to renew us in that constant conversion mm -hmm. and from that to do what we do. Mm -hmm. And then to be prophets of fraternity mm -hmm. in an age that is challenged by isolationism and relativism and loneliness. Mm -hmm. How can we, by the way we live together as a community, mm -hmm. be prophets of that mystery of unity that is the Holy Trinity itself? So prophet meaning a witness? A witness, yeah. To other people? To ourselves first. Uh. <laughs> and then from that, yeah. out of the abundance of your heart flows uh -huh. the rest. And so from the way we live together and work together, how do we then uh, remind the world that we are called to that communion, uh, uh, communion, the way of incarnating the mystery of the Trinity itself yeah. in the relationships. And then the third piece, to be servants of the young. Not, not masters of the young, but they're uh -huh. servants. How do we become like Jesus who went out to you know, the existential uh, peripheries, to quote Pope Francis, mm -hmm. where the young are most challenged? You know, how, do we, how do we reflect on the genius of John Bosco's pedagogy, mm -hmm. uh, reason, religion, and kindness? Mm -hmm. How do we take the pillars of his method and, and breathe new life into it? Now you made me think, and of course we're talking about consecrated life in general, mm -hmm. and, and, but those three principles, if I can mm -hmm. call them that, at least especially the first two, putting God right. first, being witness uh, with our fraternity. Would you say that that's part of living a consecrated life? It's at the heart of it. It's at the heart of it. For everyone who's living consecrated life or specifically? Those are the words that we've put on it. But if, if, you, take, if you take the documents of the church since, since Vatican Council II, uh, yeah. Lumen Gentium chapter 6, yeah. if you take um, Perfecta Caritatis, if you take Vita Consacrata, if you take... Because um, <laughs> we've read all of those. Of course you have. <laughs> In Latin, I'm sure. Absolutely. Starting afresh from Christ. <laughs> the, the threads are so consistent. Okay. You know, it, it struck me that the, the words, the words overlap. There's almost a parallel in wording, now, I don't know where I put it here, but where, 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 we, where we spoke about uh, mystics, prophets, and missionaries yes. living the past with gratitude and the present with passion mm -hmm. and embracing the future with hope, the, the, the aims of this year of consecrated life and our priorities as, as Salesians really mesh. You really see the web, if you want, of, of, of church wisdom coming right. forward and drawing us into the life of the church precisely as consecrated people. Now, U.S. Salesians are, are doing this re refocusing, yes. I guess, anyway, because it's the, the anniversary, but in a way, the Holy Father calls a year like the year of consecrated right. life 
for that same purpose. Absolutely. For all people in consecrated life to right. renew. To, to renew, yes, because ever since the Vatican Council II called to, to, to reconnect with our history so we can know the charism better, so we can keep this gift of the Lord, of, of God, present and vibrant in the church. That's the hope, mm -hmm. to refix our gaze with the contemplative intensity on Jesus. Yeah. You see? And from that, first be converted in an ongoing way mm -hmm. and to respond courageously to what needs to be done. One of the images that's been used so often is that consecrated people need to be um, sentinels of the dawn. Yes. I love that image yes. because y y it, I think it speaks well to me as a Salesian and to all consecrated people of the role we play within the bigger people of God. Mm -hmm. We're not apart from all members of the baptized body of Christ. What does a sentinel do? The sentinel kind of keeps vigil when other people may be asleep. So a watchman. A watchman, a, a watchman. watchwoman. Yeah. But, but to what end? For the good of the broader community. Mm -hmm. the, the sentinel needs to report what is seen. It might be good news, all mm -hmm. is fine. It might be disturbing news, there are challenges on the horizon. Right. And so to see, to see the reality that we're called to be a part of, uh -huh. and bringing the primacy of God's love for us to bear on our vision for the world and the activities that we choose to be a part of as a way of, of, of vehicling that presence of God in and for the world. Right, which is prophetic in a, in a sense. Um, how, because I'm going to ask you, the, uh, what is consecrated life then? Right. But before I ask you that, aren't, aren't we all called to that? Absolutely. Again, you know, the, the universal call to holiness that uh, yes. The Vatican Council uh, reminded us of in chapter 5 of, of um, Lumen Gentium. Let me say, this aside was very much rooted in St. Francis de Sales. He spoke <laughs> about that in his Introduction to the Devout Life really? in, the, in the 17th century. Yes. And in those days, it was radical. Because yes. in those days, only the monks it, it, and bishops exactly, were holy. Exactly. And here he was saying, if, you are, if you're a king or a soldier or a Everyone. homemaker or a carpenter, be holy your way. And so within that universal call to holiness, God will call some people to consecrated life not to be better or holier than others, but within the entire body of Christ to have a particularly focused commitment on the gospel message. Uh -huh. See, what is it that makes a consecrated person a consecrated person? First of all is to rec recognize that it's God who consecrates, not us. We don't consecrate ourselves to God. Yeah. We're all, he consecrates us all to himself through baptism. Mm -hmm. And then within that, some are consecrated by God for a particular role right. of spiritual animation, if you want, for the good of the church. Mm -hmm. Pope Francis spoke beautifully about consecrated life being born in the church, growing within the church, and being directed completely to the church. Um, somewhere else this past weekend, he spoke about a wonderful summary for consecrated life. It was so brilliant. Adore Jesus, love the church, and be missionary. Yeah. Mystics, yeah. prophets of eternity, and yeah. servants of the young. Yeah. So yeah. adore Christ, the primacy of God. Yeah, putting him first. Love the church and be missionary. Go out to the peripheries. Don't be in yes. a little enclosed, you know, religious ghetto. Get out there and do what the Spirit needs you to yeah, do. Yeah, which is those first same three. Those, those, God those elements. First, fraternity and, and Salesians, particularly servants of the young, right. peripheries. Right. That was a conversation I had with Father Michael Pace of the Salesians of Don Bosco. You can watch my full conversation with Father Mike at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. Here now is our featured artist of the week, the New Voice Orthodox Choir with Kerubic Hymn from their new album, Mystical Supper.
That was the New Voice Orthodox Choir with Cherubic Hymn from their new album, Mystical Supper. The St. Elizabeth Convent in Minsk, Belarus, is an Orthodox community that was named in honor of their holy martyr, Grand Duchess Elizabeth, and, the, and was founded in 1999. The convent helps a large psychiatric hospital. Uh, they also run a rehabilitation center and a shelter for the homeless. I learned about the St. Elizabeth Convent when I met Brother Anton, who was visiting my parish. He was selling some religious articles that are made by the sisters and some of the people that the convent serves. I also found out that the convent has several choirs and recordings, and now they have their very first recording of chants in English, which we've been listening to. So to tell us more about the convent, about their workshops and ministry, I'm now joined by Brother Anton, who is still in Canada. Brother Anton, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Father Pedro. It's good to be here. So, uh, so tell us. So, who lives at the Saint Elizabeth Convent? Well, you were absolutely right. It was indeed founded in 1999, and it started with a sisterhood of several university students who were just uh, good parishioners of an Orthodox parish downtown Minsk, which happens to be the capital of Belarus with some two million inhabitants. Yes, and uh, being a big city, it also uh, suffers from most so-called benefits of a big city. Uh, the crime and violence and sex industry and uh, drugs and you name it result in thousands of victims each year. And uh, Novinki suburb, is the place of uh, the location of the convent, mm -hmm. is where the psychiatric hospital uh, is situated for some 700 patients. It is the largest in Belarus, mm -hmm. and it also has a boarding home for children and adults who, due to their mental and physical conditions, are unable to adopt socially. Uh, the, the sisters' work there is not supported by the government. Okay. However, it's not interfered with by the government, and it's a good thing. The okay. sisters would visit the patients of the hospital and give them the attention and love that these people mostly lack. Right. And, and when they took their spiritual father there, he said that it's by the prayers of those needy and poor people that their souls may be saved. And before long, the first uh, ideas of following a monastic path in life started to linger, and the sisters wanted to found a monastery. And when they went to their elder for a blessing, he gave them five rubles and his blessing to start building a monastery. And it's not even a quarter dollar. Uh, I'm not sure what the rate back in the right. day was, but it's a very small amount of money. And he said, people would add you the rest. Uh -huh. And this is exactly what happened. The sisters went out in the streets with donation boxes, and they would be in big supermarkets and subway stations and underpasses, right. uh, just being out there and talking with people and sharing their vision of a convent that they wanted to build. Uh -huh. And the people, there's a, a Russian tradition of writing uh, names of your friends and relatives on a sheet of paper and giving them to in, in church and asking for prayers and also donating a small amount of money. Right. And this is how the first bricks and monastic walls were built. Okay, now, you're, sorry to interrupt, do the sisters run the hospital, or they help with the they hospital? They come and help it. Very few sisters have medical qualifications, and okay. they, uh, they run other things, but the hospital is simply, now it became so closely related, so to speak, to the convent, that it's hard to imagine it without these sisters. They have built 
two churches on the hospital grounds, and they conduct regular church services right. there with choirs. Uh-huh. Also, uh, they visit each department, and they have, uh, every sister is assigned a certain duty that right. they fulfill. Uh-huh. Um, but the ho- it's a state-run institution, however. Okay. And how many sisters in the convent? There is 110 monastic sisters and okay. brothers. Okay. And also there's a congregation of lay sisters that are uh, uh, the closest parallel in the Roman Catholic Church would probably be secular Franciscans. For okay, instance. I see. So a lay order. Yes. And they are about 400 in number. Okay. And they are brothers too, which okay. I'm a, I, one of. I was going to ask you about that because so it started as a, as a group of sisters but you're obviously not a sister. So how, when did they incorporate men into the community? I'm not sure when it happened that the first uh, brother decided to... Be, uh, I guess they have always been brothers, but uh, the, uh, I think the first monastic tondering happened maybe five years ago. Yeah. And this is how the first monastic brothers of St. Elizabeth's convent came into existence. But the sisters form the overwhelming majority, and there are about this 100 monastic sisters and only 10 brothers. Right. Uh, however, it's, it's still called a convent, but uh, the, and the sisters and brothers reside separately. Yes. Uh, however, they have similar obediences, and they often do the same work. Yeah, okay. So, and some of the work that you do then, either with the psychiatric hospital or with the rehab center or the shelter for the homeless people involves these workshops where they uh, they build religious uh, articles, they make religious uh, articles? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. The sisters have founded 25 workshops, and uh, they make things of wood, metal, leather, ceramics, glass, and there's a bakery, a farm, a recording studio, wow. a publishing house. They even make animated cartoons, and the amount of initiative that these people undertake is simply uh, shocking. And many people are moved with this enthusiasm and uh, devotion that they see uh-huh. within the walls of this community. And uh, people from various social backgrounds come and wish to dedicate their effort to being a part of this work. They are well-off and uh, talented uh, young artisans and young professionals, and uh, people of various age groups come just wishing to be a part of it, as well as uh, the homeless, the the needy people that were imprisoned uh, come to a convent just because they have no place to stay and no place to live. Yeah. Uh, also, former patients of the hospital uh, look, are looking for a chance to rehabilitate and discover ways to deal with their life situations. And you know, everybody is accepted, and everybody fits together as a puzzle. Okay. And uh, people carry each other's weaknesses, so to speak, and yes. thus fulfill the will of Christ. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that some of the liturgies at the at the center or the hospital involve the music, and I know music is a big part of your community, as it is in most monastic communities, because you have to pray certain numbers of days. So is that yep. how the music fits in, or does the music play a, 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 another role as well? I know that you record it. I sing in a hospital every Friday, and there's, um, there are several uh, smaller choirs that uh, participate in religious services. Yeah. The project that 
we have just heard is quite new and uh, being a Russian speaking country we have no demand for an English uh, <laughs> yes. liturgical singing but uh, we have a group of people um, specializing in in uh, maintaining ties with the communities abroad and there there are English speaking communities as well as German French Spanish and uh, uh, other language groups right so one time we thought uh, when we visit uh, english-speaking countries and we bring cds that we record people often ask us whether they would be able to understand what the chanting is about because it's it's it appears to be important to people to understand uh, yes. and to get an insight into the prayer part not yes. just the music which obviously speaks all languages. And we thought it might be a good idea to record something in English uh, and introduce people into the world of an, or- of an Orthodox liturgy, yes. give people a chance to uh, really understand the chanting. And uh, if you look at the CD, you will find a QR code. Uh-huh. That it's the code that you can scan with any smartphone, and it will take you to a web page with all the lyrics involved in the CD. And this would, uh, uh, because our articulation, unfortunately, yes. and our English is not uh, all that great. <laughs> oh no, we can understand it. We, oh, good. We good. can understand it very well. Um, so, is it is all the music? I guess it's all liturgical music, but it's not a liturgy. It is, it is essentially a liturgy with very few parts missing, only the interchangeable parts uh, that the prayers that vary from one service to another are missing there. But uh, the order in which the chants are uh, compiled yeah. and also there, uh, the, the, and, and also the, um, the form of the liturgy has remained. Right. In other, in other words, uh, if you add the changing part of the liturgy, you will get a, f- uh, a full service as if you would visit the Orthodox Church on Absolutely. Sunday morning. So that's why it's called the Mystical Supper because it is a Eucharistic. It, it is yep. the music for a, a Eucharist, a Eucharistic uh, yep. liturgy. Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, Brother Anton, that's all the time we have, but this has been it's been great meeting you in person, and I'm so glad that you've been coming to our parish to sell your. To, 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 I know that everything that you sell goes directly to support the work of the of the convent, uh, and that's very important work. So I would encourage our listeners to uh, to go and visit the website, and I'm going to put that link on our site so that they can find it easily, and I'll give it to them also in a, in a bit. But also the music, if people like the music, it's great for to enter into a. a, 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 a uh, a spirit of, of of reflection for the car after a long day of work, or 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 any other use that people might have at home. Um, so thank you for sh- for doing what you do and for sharing it with us uh, today. Thank you. It's a pleasure every single minute of it, and uh, we sincerely appreciate the warm hospitality and the supportive response that we see in this part of the world. It's dear to us, and uh, it's in our hearts. Thank you. You can find more about the work of the St. Elizabeth Convent and, as I said, support them by purchasing the religious articles that they make. Uh, if you go to their website, it's a, a bit of a, a, a complicated website, catalog.obitel-minsk.com, but I'm going to put that on our site so that you can find it easily. Just go to saltandlighttv.org radio and you can find the link 
to the St. Elizabeth Convent uh, store. Here now is the New Voice Orthodox Choir with Praise the Lord from the Heavens from their new album, Mystical Supper. listening to the New Voice Orthodox Choir with Praise the Lord from the Heavens from their new album, Mystical Supper. And that will take us to the end of the program this week. Remember that you can always reach us via email, Facebook, or Twitter at Salt and Light TV, or reach me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us via direct voice message right off our webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Comment on anything that you hear on this program. We will read or listen to every message and hey, maybe we will even read some of them on the air. So go to your computer or mobile device and send me a message. Every message gets you entered into our weekly draw. If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests in case you want to go back and find out who we spoke to. It's all there. This show would not be possible without the support of our featured artists and all our guests, so go check them out and support their work. And also remember our partner radio stations, the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, Holy Family Radio, the Lamb Catholic Radio Network, the Baraga Radio Network, and Relevant Radio when you're making your donations. And remember us too, this show is completely free thanks to donations. So please contact us to learn how you can help keep the Salt and Light Hour on the air. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>